If you would open up to Genesis chapter 4, I believe it's around page 4 in the Red Bible, not positive. And we're going to read verses 1 through 10 in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4, 1 through 10. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regarded had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue in this series, as we continue to look and see what life is like east of Eden, what life is like outside of paradise, we pray that you would be the mighty God you promised to be, that you would transform our hearts to be people that worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Adam and Eve had very high expectations for their oldest son, Cain. If you remember back in Genesis 3.15, God promises Adam and Eve that God will send a seed, an offspring, that will crush Satan. And through this text, through the Hebrew, many people believe, most commentators believe that Adam and Eve actually believe that that Messiah, that Christ, the one who was going to triumph over Satan, the one who was going to return them to Eden, would be their son, Cain. Some actually translate it from the Hebrew, Genesis 4.1, they translate it, I have brought forth a man, even the Lord, or the deliverer. And so there seems to be this feeling that they had thought that Cain would be the Christ. But... As we know from the story, Cain was not the Christ. Cain was a murderer. And so you can imagine their devastation as they saw the effects of their own sin passing on to their children. Sin is a word that is first introduced in this passage. We actually don't see the word sin in the Bible until here in Genesis chapter 4, although it's present And as we look at it, we see that sin is actually an attitude of the heart 
more than anything else. And we'll dive into it today and sort of see that it's not so much our outward actions. Those are just a result of sin in our heart. There's a reason why when God came to Adam and Eve and he gave them a command, he did not command them saying, do not murder one another, do not steal from one another, because then we could possibly think that sin isn't just an action. He gave a morally neutral command. He said, don't eat the fruit of that tree. There's nothing wrong with that fruit. It's probably the same as many other fruits. But what it shows is that the root of sin is in our heart. It was rebellion against God. And so sin starts in our heart. The Bible is very clear about the condition of our heart. And you trust me, you will not hear this uh, on the talk shows. Genesis 6-5 puts it this way. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And so the world would say, Man, you have a really good heart, right? But God doesn't say that. You know, uh, it's amazing how sometimes I'll go to uh, funerals and people will say, well, I guess God just couldn't wait to have this person, right? As if, as if we bring something good to God, like God needs us, or if that we're such a good person that we really add to his glory and to his grace. But we learn that our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are actually dead, is what Ephesians 2 says. And so sin is primarily an issue of the heart. Let me give you an example. And you saw a great example here this morning of a husband and wife and children are rah, 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 until they get to church, right? And then, hey, how are you? Praise Jesus, right? See, Trish and I, we, we don't struggle with that, but that's... No, we don't, but that's because I leave three hours before she does, so it's, it's not an issue. But... Um, but just to give you an example from home life, you know, if you're if you come home and either you come home from work or you come home from school and your mom and dad or spouse say, hey, would you go get the mail? You know, on a given day, you'd be like, you know, I would love to do that for you. I see you're busy. I'd love to serve you in that way. So I'll walk out and I'll go get the mail and I'll bring it back. Same week, same spouse, same situation you could say, hey, honey, will you go get the mail? And then you're headed out, oh, why do I have to go get the mail? They're so lazy. I put in this full day at work, this full day at school. I can't believe they would ask me to do this. And it's just getting the mail, right? See, the, the only difference between the two situations is our heart. And so our heart is where sin starts. And what we're going to see today through Cain is that the condition of our heart is seen most clearly in our worship of God. And it's seen most clearly in our relationship with others, especially those that are closest to us. So let's first look at how we see the condition of our heart in our worship of God. Look in verse 2 with me, if you would. It says, And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And so life east of Eden was very normal. They worked They were a family. They ate together. They played. They worshiped. It was very normal. Verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering 
of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so Cain and Abel both bring an offering to the Lord from their trade. But God had regard for Abel's offering, but not for Cain. And the question is, why? If you're like me, I've read this text many times, and I'd be like, this seems pretty unfair that God would not accept Cain's offering. Well, there's a couple of theories out there. One theory is that Abel brought the firstborn, and Cain did not bring the first fruits, and so uh, Cain just kind of gave his leftovers to God. Another theory is that Abel brought a blood sacrifice of atonement, and Cain did not. He brought fruit instead. And I'm not sure, honestly, which one is true, but it doesn't really matter because Cain knew exactly what he was supposed to do. God even says later, he says to him, if you do well, you will, will you not be accepted? And so Cain knew what was well. Cain knew what was right. His parents had taught him. He had grown up in his parents' home and he had chosen not to do it for a reason. You know, when we look at this passage, when we see that God had rejected Cain's sacrifice, the natural question is, why? Why did he reject Cain's worship? And when we read on in this passage, all we have to do is see Cain's response. Look in verse 5. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So what is the appropriate response when the Lord God says, I do not like your worship? What is the appropriate response? The appropriate response is repentance. It's, Lord, lead me in the way after, after everlasting. Forgive me for my sin. Help me to worship you in a way that you desire. But this wasn't Cain's response at all. Cain's response was strictly anger. Cain chose not to give the right offering because his heart was angry against God. Paul Tripp, who uh, preaches a fantastic sermon on this, it's under resources, if you're interested in listening to it, you'll hear a lot of how it influenced the message today. But Paul Tripp puts it this way, in talking about this passage, he says, the problem was not the substance of the sacrifice. The problem was not the process of the sacrifice. The problem was in the heart of the person making the sacrifice. You see, God isn't satisfied with just the external acts of worship from us. God isn't satisfied with just singing and service and fellowship and giving. God wants our hearts. God wants our hearts. You know, there's a uh, guy in the Bible named King David. He was actually titled the man after God's own heart. And David understood this as well. And I believe this is what the women studied in Bible study this week. From Psalm 51, David says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And so David got it. David understood that what God wants most from me is my heart. Not these empty rituals. 
Abel got it. Abel understood that this was what he was supposed to do to give God his heart, to have faith in God, to believe in God. Hebrews 11.4, we got a lot of quotes for you today. Hebrews 11.4 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so Cain's offering was unacceptable because it was done without faith. It was done without a heart and a love for God. It was a half offering, a third offering. It was the leftovers. I, uh, a few years ago, my dad's birthday was coming up, and I panicked, and I looked around the house. What can I give my dad? What can I give my dad? And I found these gift cards. I believe they were to TGI Fridays. And uh, I'm like, okay, I'll take those. They were actually a gift from my brother a month earlier for my birthday. So I was re-gifting, all right? I admit it. But I'm like, okay, good. Write a little card, put it in there, send it to my dad. Be a good son. Just get it done, right? And so I sent it to my dad. He calls me. He thanks me. A few weeks go by, and I get another call from my dad, and he says, where did you get the uh, the gift card from? And I didn't want to tell him, so I'm like, well, why do you ask, Dad? <laughs> and he says, well, we were at TGI Fridays, and, you know, we got this great meal, and it was it was awesome. And we gave the waitress the $40 gift card, and she came back and told us that there was only $3.15 on it. And so I'm sitting there going, man, that backfired. (laughs) And it became very clear as I confessed to him how I got the card and everything that happened that my, my gift to my dad was just sort of like, hey, let's get this done. It's just a ritual. It's, let's, I just want to please my dad, get it done and move on with my life. My brother, same thing. So he's just as guilty as me. (laughs) But the sacrifice God desires is our whole heart. Not just an empty ritual of giving to him so that he'll be happy and we can go on with our week. Not just giving him leftovers, but giving to God our worship with joy and love and gratitude. Not out of duty or obligation. Now, as we look at this passage, and as we look at Cain, we can certainly be tempted to look at Cain and say, Man, Cain was such an awful guy, which he was. But we can tend to say, I would never do that. I would never do that. But I would suggest that we do this all the time. That all the time we come to God with half-hearted worship, that we try to check the box. That Cain's struggle is actually our struggle. And so let me give you a few examples. How much joy was in your heart this morning? Or I'll put it this way. Do you ever struggle and say, I really don't want to go to church today. I really don't want to go to Bible study tonight. Do you ever struggle? Like, like you know, as Christians, we believe one thing we should do is get in God's word every day, pray to God, enjoy God. Do you have to work really, 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 really hard to make that happen? The reason is, is because we're like Cain many times. There are those days where we're excited to go to church, we're excited to go to communion, we're excited to get into God's word, we're excited to pray to God, but there are far too few in between. And so all those days where we have this battle in life to worship God, it's because we're like Cain. 
because we just want to get it done. We just want to check the box that God might be happy with us. And so what should we do? Should we, uh, one approach, which I think a lot of people do is we'll say, you know, my heart's just not in it, so I'm not going to go to church. My heart's not in it, so I'm not going to go to Bible study. My heart's not in it, so I'm not going to, you know, whatever, read the Bible, pray to God, because my heart's not in it. But you'll see in this passage, God doesn't send Cain away from his presence. God doesn't say, Cain, quit worshiping me. He doesn't say that at all. But he says, transform your worship. Make it right. God gives two commands here. If you look in verse 7, God says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And so the two commands that God gives is do well. What does this mean? Well, Cain knew the offering that he was supposed to give, and he chose not to give it. And so God says, worship me according to my standards, according to how I tell you to worship. At Jacob's well, we hold the Bible in really high regard. We, we have something we call the regulative principle, regulative principle, and it regulates how we worship God. We believe that God tells us in his word how he wants to be worshiped. And so there will not be a time that you will see us coming together, lighting candles, praying to a statue. It's not going to happen. Because that is not how God has prescribed that we gather to worship. It's through singing, it's through prayer, it's through his preached word, through the sacraments that God tells us to worship him. And so that's how we do it. But then the second command is rule over sin. And what God is saying is you have to deal with your heart. You have to deal with your heart. Where is your heart at when you come here on a Sunday morning? Do you confess to God when it's not in the right place? Do you praise God when it is in the right place? He says, deal with your heart. And so the answer is not to stop worshiping. The answer is to repent and to say to the God of the universe, Lord, my heart is not in it today. You are not my desire today. Would you please help me? Would you please change my heart? I know you created the heavens and the earth. I know you saved a sinner like me. I know you can change my heart. Lord, would you please do it? And so it's reaching out to God and asking him to change our heart. And so... One way we see the condition of our heart is in our worship of God. But that naturally overflows into our relationship with others, and especially those closest to us. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Now, let me pause there for a sec. Cain and Abel, my assumption is that they were very good friends. Maybe it's a bad assumption, but if you just have one other brother, you're probably going to be pretty close. Who else do you play tag with? I mean... Who else do you play ping pong with, right? There's only one guy, your brother. And so they probably, you know, played with each other. They probably helped each other out throughout life. Probably one of the closest people to Cain in his life. And yet this was the very person that he so grievously sinned again against. He, it says he went and he spoke to Abel, and so he got his trust, and then he led him out into the field. It says, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. This is a premeditated, I'm going to talk my brother into going out into the field with me, away from mom and dad, and I'm going to kill him. And it probably wasn't a very pretty murder. Uh, I don't think they had guns at this time. They pretty much had their bare hands and garden tools. And so you can just imagine how horrific this is when Adam and Eve finds out that their son is not 
a savior, but a murderer. And this is what life is like east of Eden. It affects how we treat others. 1 John 3, 11-13 puts it this way. For this is, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And so God commands us to love those around us. And it reflects our heart when we don't. You know, like that, that male illustration, you come home and one day you're happy to serve your wife or your mom, or your dad, or your husband. The next day, it's like the worst thing in the world they could possibly ask you. You can turn into a monster 30 seconds from walking in the door. can be happy all day, and then boom! It's like Jekyll and Hyde. Growing up, I had my older brother, Scott, who gave me the gift card, by the way. And, um, wait, I probably shouldn't have said that. Oh, well. Uh, Scott, Scott, was, Scott was a few years older than me. I looked up to Scott. Scott is a, a really cool, cool guy. And... Um, Mr. Popular, things like that. Great guy. And so, you know, my brother Scott, he played baseball, so I tried to play baseball. I didn't make the team. But he played football. I played football. He played rugby. I played rugby. He went to school for engineering. I went to school for engineering. And so Scott was someone that I really looked up to. Scott and I were were really good friends. Scott is probably one of my best friends even today. But it was amazing because even though he was the one that I probably looked up to the most, he was also the one that I fought with the most, the one that I always got so angry with. that we. And so you see our heart just comes very apparent, not when we deal with persons for an hour at work and we can be nice to them, but when we get home and our true heart is revealed with those that are closest to us. And what we learn through God's word is that everyone who hates his brother is guilty of murder. And so there are days where I am a serial killer. Please don't take that out of context. I'll probably lose my job. I will lose my job. But in our hearts, hating people, God said, is like murder to him. And so we see in our own hearts our wickedness as we see how much we hurt and hate others. And again, how should we respond? Genesis 4, 9 says this. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so you can see in Cain's heart right away, he's like, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with Cain. I just want to be about my own business. Leave me alone. But God comes to him, right? God doesn't just vacate him. God doesn't just leave him. God comes to Cain and he says, where is your brother? You know, this is so similar to what God did with Adam and Eve. And he says, have you eaten of the fruit that I told you not to eat? And if you remember, we said, why does God ask that question? Is it because God doesn't know? Is God like, hmm, I wonder if. God knows. It even becomes apparent in verse 10 that God knows. And so why would he ask the question of Cain? It's because he wants Cain to repent. He wants Cain to confess his sin and say, Lord, I am sorry. Change my heart. Adam and Eve and Cain don't, though. At least not initially, not that we read. They may after time, but they don't in these instances. There is no remorse for their sin. And so we see the condition of our heart is reflected in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. I just kind of want to... there's a great summary of this in the New Testament. In Matthew 12, 30, 
Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? Can you summarize the Bible for me? It's kind of what they're saying. And Jesus responds this way. He says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. And so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying the very thing we read in Genesis chapter 4, that you are called to love God, that you are called to love your brother. Now, so far you might be thinking, Man, Pastor Dan, thank you for such an encouraging sermon. I've learned about how sinful I am today. I've learned about how I come to worship and and my heart is all off. How, you know, the way I treat my husband, my wife, my mom, my dad, my siblings, that's actually a reflection of my heart. Thank you for the encouragement. But there is great encouragement. My children, they, um, they love trains. And so... When, when, they, when the train gets out of juice, they'll come up and they'll say, Dad, will you, will you new, new berries is what they're saying, new berries. And what they mean is new batteries. And so, uh, so, I, so I take the train and I'll you know, take it apart, put the new battery in, put it back together and give it to them. And the thing runs beautifully. They're not rechargeable batteries where we recharge them. We have to completely change the battery. Ezekiel 36 is possibly, ah, oh, there's so many good ones. It might be one of the best passages in the whole Bible. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And then here it is in verse 26. And I will give you a new heart. I won't make it better. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit the spirit of Jesus, I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk with my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so you see, God says, I'm going to give you a new heart because your heart is not working. And so as Christians, we live this life in this constant battle saying, Lord God, you have given me this new heart and I still take it and I still get angry and mad. Lord God, please change me. Please transform me. You know, big brother Cain was told, you must master sin. But sin mastered him and he killed his brother Abel. But we have another big brother, Jesus, who mastered sin. It was and mastered sin for us, that we could come to God, confess our hearts, and be freed from sin. Let me end with this illustration. Uh, most of you have probably seen The Wizard of Oz. Hopefully you have. And uh, in The Wizard of Oz, they're all searching for something different. What is the tin man searching for? Anyone know? A heart, right? And so the tin man is searching for a heart, and he comes to the wizard. And the wizard says to the tin man this. He says, A heart is not judged by how much you love, but how much you are loved by others. Let me repeat that. A heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. And so God's love for us, our heart, 
is not based on how good we are, how much we do, how much we love God, how much we love others. It's based on how much God has loved us. He has loved us enough to take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh that we could once again feel the joy of worship that Cain probably never knew. And that's a gift to us. And so to master our hearts, to master sin, we have to be mastered by our master, Jesus, who died for our sin on the cross. What's your heart in worship? If it's good, praise God. If it's bad, say, Lord, I confess it's bad. Change me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your word. We praise you for your your grace that you would um, not just change our hearts, but you would give us completely new hearts. And with those new hearts, we're continually changed and we continually grow and we continually fall more in love with you, God. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you continue to work on our hearts, Lord, those who have a new heart, God. If there's anyone here who has never known the joy of worshiping you, if, if, if worshiping you has always been a burden, a list of rules, if it's been drudgery, God, I pray that you would give them the new heart to know the Savior, the one that loves them, God, and that the heart of our worship would be all about you, God. We love you, we praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we gather around the Lord's table, this table is for all who have a new heart, for all who have trusted in Jesus Christ, have been born again and said, He is my God, He is my Savior. If you're here today and you say, Lord, my heart is, is not right, but I want it to be right, come and be nourished by His grace. Come and be nourished, let Him feed you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you say, you know, my heart doesn't get excited about God. We would ask you just to wait on this until God reveals that to you. This is for those who trust in Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians 11 that if you eat in an unworthy manner, that you will be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. And we don't want that to be upon you. So we just ask you to wait and to come and talk to us and see what it means to trust in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.23 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The outer ring is grape juice. The inner rings are wine for your own discernment. But come and proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection with